0: my guest today is dr deepa halaharvi who is a breast cancer surgeon at ohio health and a breast cancer survivor she is also associate program director for the breast surgery fellowship at grant medical center uh, she has also started a survivorship series lectures at ohio health for cancer survivors welcome deepa
1: thank you so much gil for having me today
0: absolutely yeah so i going to start with um you, you know, there are a few articles that that I would love to uh, dig a little deeper into. So one of the articles, I think a colleague of yours from uh, University of Michigan uh, entitled Disparities in Breast Cancer and African Ancestry, a Global Perspective, and uh, in which she says uh, recognition of breast cancer disparities between African-American and white American women has generated exciting research opportunities investigating the biologic and hereditary factors that contribute to the observed outcome differences leading to international studies of breast cancer in Africa. Uh, You want to talk a bit about uh, the outcome differences that we see in the U.S. and perhaps uh, more generally internationally?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, uh, this is the topic of my interest and I have been reading a lot about it. And so in African-Americans, I think when they're diagnosed, they tend to be diagnosed more with an advanced stage of breast cancer versus uh, like Caucasian women tend to get diagnosed with more regional disease. In fact, the numbers that are quoted are, uh, for Caucasian women, they're diagnosed with local disease about 64% of the time, Mm -hmm. versus African Americans are diagnosed only 54% of the time they're diagnosed with local disease. It's more spread to regional disease when they're diagnosed. There's a number of factors that is associated with this. So um, local
0: disease, the lo- local disease meaning it's sort of early? In yeah, local okay.
1: meaning the disease just to the breast. Yeah. Uh, and when we say local regional disease, now disease has spread not just to the breast, but also to the lymph nodes. Okay, And uh, so that you know, can be in you know, a higher stage uh, when they're diagnosed. Right. And so it requires more treatments uh, for them. The other factors that we've seen in African-Americans, obviously like socioeconomic factors, um, access to health care, um, but, you know, more also comorbidities such as diabetes and obesity. Yeah. Um, they also tend to be, there's also biological differences in the cancer that is diagnosed in African-Americans, such as triple negative breast cancer mm. uh, that tends to not have as good of a survival rates compared to non-triple negative breast cancer. Um, maybe so, problem,
0: sorry, go ahead. No, no. So, so you know, uh, I was looking at uh the, so the in the article uh she says the impact of breast cancer on african american compared to white uh, american caucasian women is characterized by a complex and seemingly paradoxical differences and i think this is what you are you talking about so with lifetime incidence rates being lower in african americans but correct. they have a higher mortality rate right a higher case mortality rates that is
1: correct yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think a lot of things, I think they do have, you know, more triple negative breast cancer, and they also tend to get diagnosed with breast cancer at younger ages. And so, and and also there's thought that they don't follow up right after they have an abnormal mam- mammography for like biopsies and further imaging. Um, perhaps, you know, access to finding good high quality health care um, also could be a problem. And um maybe going to, you know, to facilities that is not accredited. Um, and and in general, triple negative breast cancer, the prognosis is not as great as, you know, what we call luminal A breast cancer, which is hormone receptor positive and herpeneur receptor negative breast cancer.
0: So, so triple negative breast cancer uh, at the highest level, it doesn't really respond to the typical therapies that are available right is that the issue? yeah
1: so i mean so if you compare a triple negative breast cancer to say a luminal a breast cancer which is hormone receptor positive breast cancer yeah. so the options are they can get chemotherapy uh, depending on how big is the cancer you know is the cancer invaded the lymph nodes there's a number of different factors that goes into you know getting chemotherapy um and then After they're done with their surgical management, the chemotherapy radiation, depending on what kind of surgery they're doing, um, they also will get endocrine therapy. That's the estrogen blockers to block the hormone receptors. Mm -hmm. In triple negative breast cancer, unfortunately, you don't have those receptors on the cell. So I kind of describe it as a naked cell to my patients. So. Mm Triple negative breast cancer does not have the hormone receptors. So really the only option for them is chemotherapy. And so the chemotherapy does not work well, then, you know, it's, you know, they are not going to do well with it. Hmm.
0: Um, Is it, is it, so that is genetic, right?
1: So, and that's also another thing from reading all these articles that I'm finding out is, um, BRCA1, you know, the mutation yes. BRCA1 is more predominantly associated with triple negative breast cancers. Mm-hmm. And we're also finding out that uh, there's a lot of the mutation of BRCA found in African-Americans that we did not know about in the past. Mm-hmm.
0: So so that's interesting. So that has implications. And I think we'll talk about this uh, both in terms of uh, the the timing of screening and what type of screening, right? But before we get to that, you um, know, I was looking at this chart in this paper, um, paper that you know. So it has the incidence rates and mortality rates, yeah. Um, and you know, it, it has uh, data for developed regions, less developed regions, Western Europe, uh, and so on. And then different sections of Africa. And um, w- one of the surprising things to me is, uh, granted, the incidence rates are lower. In, in many parts of Africa, and that could be just screening uh, modalities or screening frequency, perhaps, right? You're not picking them up. Yeah. Um, But the mortality rates um, appear to be, I, I guess in comparison to incidence rate is high, but it, it is in general not that different from, let's say, you know, um, other less developed regions, for example. Um, and so, so is is um, uh, so if, if I guess let me ask it differently. Uh, do we have any hypothesis as to African American women having higher triple negative uh, breast cancer and uh, higher uh, BRCA one uh, mutations, and hence we should we should find a higher mortality rate, right? So, in other words, do we find a difference? between African-American population in the U.S. compared to in Africa?
1: Yeah, actually in the U.S., I mean, one of the papers I was reading, actually it's from American Cancer Society. It quotes a five-year survival rate for African-Americans to be 81% versus uh, um, 91% for the Caucasian women. So there is a disparity in the survival rates, and most of that is attributed to the triple negative breast cancer. Now, whether that's associated with BRCA or not, we don't know, but just the fact that the biology of the cancer that they're diagnosed with, the higher grade and the triple negative, and it's not just local disease, but local regional, so in in a higher stage when they're diagnosed, Mm. we don't know if they're following up with the treatments, if they're, um, compliant with the treatments, um, you know that's another factor. So I think it's multifactorial as to why that is. Uh, definitely, biology plays a huge role in it for sure.
0: Right. Yeah. And then there is the question of um, when do you detect it, and and like you say, uh, follow up and all of that. So the earliest detectable form of breast cancer is the ductal carcinoma in situ, uh, DCIS. And um, do we see a difference in DCIS uh, occurrences between uh, African American and, uh, and Caucasian women?
1: I think the incidence rate is the same. I think, so the DCIS, it's a non-palpable cancer. So most commonly it's seen on a screening mammography. So it's not something women can feel. Mm. So the disparity does come in whether women are following through with the screening mammography, which again, you know, there is a confusion between this different guidelines for screening mammograms. We have different associations, you know, talking about starting age at a different times. For example, American Cancer Society does not recommend a screening mammogram till age 45. They say between age 40 and 44, informed decision-making with the healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. And then 45 to 54, they recommend a screening mammogram every year. Then after 55, it's every year or every other year. Now, National Comprehensive Cancer Network, they do recommend uh, mammography starting at age 40 and every year for as long as woman is in good health. Right. Then there is the US Preventative Service Task Force, um, they say again between 40 to 49, informed decision making with healthcare provider, and then after you know ages 50 to 74, they recommend it every other year. So I think the really there is so much confusion in when one should get screening mammograms. DCIS is diagnosed on usually typically on a screening mammography. Mm. And so, if a woman is not following through and getting their screening, um, you know, you're not gonna be able to diagnose the early stage cancer. Uh, That's one thing. The other thing is African-Americans tend to have uh, triple negative cancers in younger age women. So that's, you know, between ages 40 to 50, and Mm -hmm. we diagnose them with triple negative breast cancer. So again, if they're not following up with the guidelines and going and getting mammography every year, starting at age 40, then that's a problem also.
0: Um, right, yeah, so I see that in, in November 2009, when United States Preventative Services Task Force had recommendations, they had a blanket recommendation that um, uh, initiating screening for everybody at age 50. Uh, and I guess they changed it since then. Uh, but what you're saying also is that since we find DNBC incidence rates to be um, to be different, In different um, demographics, uh, you probably need different, um, uh, you know, uh, the the screening should start at different ages, perhaps, right?
1: That is correct. Well, so for sure, I mean, we know the studies have shown uh, there's a recent study that came out in Lancet. uh, It's a randomized control study. It's actually a British study uh, that looked at. Uh, several thousand women and 160,000 women, 160,921 women between 1990 to 1997. It's a follow-up of almost 23 years. They actually found uh, breast cancer mortality reduction if you start mammography at 40. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't, you don't actually start seeing the reduction at least till 10 years after you started doing your mammography. And they do specifically talk about African-American women and, you know, especially because they tend to have triple negative breast cancer at such a younger age?
0: Yeah, so let me ask you this, Deva. You know, the, if there, there are differences in incidence rates across the states in the U.S. Uh, I believe Connecticut, for example, where I live, has one of the highest incidence rates of breast cancer. Uh, one could attribute that to higher levels of screening, uh, in which case, uh, I would imagine, I'm just uh, making this hypothesis, you can let me know yeah. if this is true, um, then you would you would think that you are picking up a larger number of people at, at very early stage. So you should actually see case mortality drop if you have higher levels of screening and higher incidence rates, if incidence rates are related to higher screening, right?
1: That is correct. And also, you know, if you're catching women at early stage breast cancer, their survival and prognosis is way different. So for example, like you alluded to DCIS, which is a stage zero breast cancer. Um, and so the options are obviously surgery is an option, you know, they can have lesser surgery, such as a lumpectomy. Mm -hmm. or what's called a partial mastectomy, and they can still preserve breasts. And they may or may not need radiation. We have, you know, genomic tests that will tell us if radiation is beneficial for them. So maybe all they need is a surgery and then endocrine therapy. That's an option. For women who are diagnosed with early stage cancer, they may just need a lumpectomy, radiation, endocrine therapy, may not even need chemotherapy. And so definitely the survival rate is much higher if women are diagnosed in early stage. We're saying, you know, women diagnosed in later stages. So that there is definitely correlation to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, let me go into another paper. Breast cancer mortality in African-American and non-Hispanic white women by molecular subtype and stage at diagnosis. Uh, it's a population-based study. So higher breast cancer mortality rates for African-American than non-Hispanic white women are well-documented, uh, the paper says. However, it remains uncertain if this disparity occurs in disease subgroups defined by tumor molecular markers and stage at diagnosis. Um, There are some sort of um, counterintuitive results here. You wanna talk a bit about that?
1: Which paper are you talking Uh, about? So
0: this is the breast cancer mortality in African-American and non-Hispanic white women by molecular subtype and stage at diagnosis. So one of the things I noticed in the paper is that there is a difference in stage one and stage four, but not in stage two and stage three or or the other way around. Uh, and so I wondered why, what's causing that? Um, so, so they say that in this paper, they say that after adjustment for patient tumor and treatment characteristics, outcomes were comparable by race for stage one or four uh, cancer, regardless of subtype, uh, but they find substantially higher hazard, uh, hazards of breast cancer death among African American women in stage two and stage three. So, in other words, it's sort of a sort of a U-shaped uh, type outcome—not uh, outcome, but difference between African American and uh, white women.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the facts that one of the things that they talk about in this paper is. Uh, early detection and early diagnosis to right. eliminate the disparities, um, which is consistent with what we saw in the past. Right. And also, I think stage three, they talk about uh, a lot of it is triple negative breast cancer.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Like,
1: that's what makes the difference is, I think, Billy, what they're talking about in this paper.
0: Okay. So is it, uh, is it, is it true, Deepa, that if you have um, uh, triple negative breast cancer or, or BRCA mutations, um, you generally tend to get to stage two before you are diagnosed, is that true or not?
1: So yeah, I mean, so triple negative breast cancer. So really staging really takes into account the size of the tumor, the yeah. grade of the tumor, the hormone receptor status. Um, and so those are all the things that go into staging. So really it depends on when the person is diagnosed with the, and triple negatives tend to be a little bit higher stage versus the same size uh, for their hormone receptor positive tends to be lower stage. This is the newest AJCCC 8th edition uh, staging system. Um, So yeah, the triple negatives tend to be a little higher stage. Again, it all really depends on the size of the tumor and the
0: grade of the tumor. So TNBC tends uh, tends to progress faster too.
1: Yes, it does. Yeah, it can it can progress faster. Uh, and you know, and it tends to be heterogeneous. There are so many subtypes in TNBC. And I think that's really what makes it difficult to treat it. Um, so if you're not treating the correct subtype, you may not actually be treating the right kind of triple negative cancer. And sometimes that's a trial and an error, you know, we won't know until the cancer recurs. Um, and the risk of cancer reoccurring for triple negatives is also, you know, higher in the first five years of the
0: diagnosis. Right, right. Okay. Um, I, I, there's another paper here, which is along the same lines, effective mammographic screening from age 40 years on breast cancer mortality. This is a UK study. Yes,
1: that's the one I was alluding to earlier.
0: Okay, okay. And, and again, they're finding that um We aim to estimate the effect of mammographic screening at ages forty to forty eight years on breast cancer mortality. The standard was fifty it it subsequently was reduced to forty five is that right and what they 're finding is that even going lower is is beneficial or starting early is beneficial
1: yeah so they I think they say it it should be reduced to starting from fifty to forty years uh, that can you know potentially reduce. Uh, breast cancer mortality. This is something, you know, uh, screening mammography has been so well studied. We have eight randomized uh, studies that have looked at screening mammography. And I usually tell patients, we really don't have those many randomized studies for like colonoscopy or, you know, any <laughs> other <laughs> modality that we have for mammography. So I don't think we need to go back to reinvent the wheel. We know mammography reduces the mortality. And this paper is really good. It's not American studies. It's UK from UK. But they talk about reducing the age limit from 50 to 40, and talking about decreasing the mortality, uh, breast cancer-associated mortality. Um, the problem, though, and, you know, some of the organizations will argue that younger women tend to have dense breast tissue. Mm. So mammograms may or may not be the best modality for them. Right. And and the other thing, too, is... Do, do what is it ma- art-
0: ultrasound, then, that... That might yeah,
1: be so, I mean, you know, we went from a traditional 2D mammography to 3D mammography. Yeah. So, you know, that's essentially like a CT scan where it can look at a, in the slices of the breast. And so instead of giving you two views, it gives you a number of different views. So it does pick up more cancer, the 3D mammography does. Mm. Um, the ultrasound is another option, especially if a woman or a physician is feeling a mass. That's an option. Mm. Now, for women who are that's for average risk women, for women who are high risk, meaning if they have family history of breast cancer, um, there are these risk models that we calculate sometimes based on their family history. If they are lifetime risk of more than 20% risk of getting breast cancer, then they also have option of an MRI as well as a mammography. So MRI is more sensitive compared to a mammogram and you can alternate. I typically alternate a mammogram and an MRI uh, to catch those interval cancers. And also these women tend to be younger women. So um, there is a risk of, you know, false negatives or sorry, false positives. Mm. And so you do have to worry about that just because MRI is so sensitive.
0: Um, right. So is. um, both mammogram and MRI are they superior to ultrasound in general?
1: So you know, ultrasound really is very uh, operator dependent. So really, the technician dependent. So someone who does the ultrasounds very frequently is really good um, at them, and then the rate of false positives goes down. But if someone does not, you know, is not a good uh, at using an ultrasound, you can really have number of unnecessary biopsies. Mm. Uh, so there is a place for an ultrasound, especially if a patient is feeling a mass or you know we are palpating a mass in the office. Then there's definitely a place for an ultrasound, but um, really it's not embraced as well as a mam- as a mammogram. And uh, like I said earlier, mammogram is really well studied modality.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know much about this, Deepa, but you know the, the the public might look at mammogram as you know some level of radiation. Uh, whereas ultrasound is not. So is there, a, is there a situation that ultrasound could be used as kind of an early screen? And then if you find, uh, if you are unsure, then go to, the, or or is it that, you know, the radiation levels associated with mammogram is, is really uh, irrelevant in this decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, the radiation you receive from mammography is really not that high. Yes. Uh, you get more radiation, you know, going in an airplane, say, from New York to California than <laughs> yeah. in the mammography. So, yeah. yeah, and when women talk about it, we typically, you know, if you put it in that perspective, they understand it better. But it's really not that much more radiation than people really think. In the, your surroundings, you probably get more radiation than, okay. you, get, you know, with the mammography.
0: And so, so um, mammography is really the standard of care, and generally speaking, earlier screening appears to be very beneficial. Correct. Um, and um, more, uh, more generally, uh, people who are at the higher risk category uh, demographics, at a higher risk category. Uh, may want to have that uh, that started early, right? That's the uh, that's the standard of care. Today.
1: That is correct. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, an average risk woman, meaning really women do not have as many family members who have had breast cancer, uh, you know, they, you know, we typically at Ohio Health tend to start mammography at age forty, and that's what NCCN recommended, and we're also. Uh, MD Anderson certified, I'm also MD Anderson certified physician and network. They also recommend the same thing as starting mammography at age 40 for an average risk woman. A woman who is high risk is typically, you do those risk models, either Gale risk or Titor Cusick or Bracopro. And if the lifetime risk is greater than 20%, then we do recommend um, imaging and mammography, alternating with an MRI, um, as well as two breast exams in a year by two clinicians and a self breast exam every month and it's basically called self breast awareness you know it's, they don't call it an exam but it's more an awareness but i think women need to be aware of their breast and you know feeling for any lumps or masses that feel worrisome uh and also feeling there underneath the arms to make sure there's no enlarged lymph nodes
0: right right um i i would to touch on another issue uh which is Equally problematic, and that is disparities in breast cancer surgery delay the yeah. lingering effect of race uh, paper says um, delays to surgical breast cancer treatment of ninety days or more may be associated with greater stage migration um, and uh, they investigate racial disparities in time to receiving first surgical treatment in breast cancer patients to to actual um, actual surgery yeah that's um, cool. yeah.
1: So, I mean, you know, in in generally, like at our institution, we really, you know, try to get a patient from diagnosis to surgery within six weeks. So, you know, I think a number of things that this paper listed that could be the reasons is, Perhaps the patient did not want to go through surgery, maybe uh, transportation problems, uh just following up problems, but I mean definitely there is if there is delay in more than ninety days, that definitely does not lead to good prognosis hmm. um and in obviously breast cancer does not it's typically takes months for the cell to divide and multiply um, yeah. but again, you don't want to delay it more than ninety days for sure
0: yeah, I mean that's an amazing thing, right so uh the the more you wait the higher the risk uh that you can recover from it uh it's, it's it's almost like uh once you have a diagnosis you you have to almost immediately get some kind of a some kind of a process working already Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, there's two things. So when a patient gets diagnosed, we try to expedite if they need additional imaging, additional biopsies. And sometimes patients get really anxious uh, about it. You know, why are you doing it so quickly? Am I going to die tomorrow? Well, not really. You're not going to die tomorrow. We just want to expedite the process so we can get you to surgery or the, you know, treatment that's, you know, that needs to happen next. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to delay it, you know, because it does have, you know, worse prognosis.
0: Right. Yeah, I want to um, go into another paper. This is uh, your paper with others. Uh, prophylactic mastectomy can save patients up to 50,000 compared to lifelong screening in BRCA and one BRCA, and BRCA2 patients. Um, so you say awareness of value based quality care has become an increasingly important issue for healthcare. And patients with BRCA mutations have a lifetime risk of developing breast cancer up to eighty-seven percent by age seventy. Yeah, um, so that is a that is an incredible number. Uh, I remember there was a, there was an actress I can remember her name. She opted Angelina for
1: yeah. Who is, Jolie. is it? Angelina Jolie.
0: Angelina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and so. Um, So this seems like it's becoming sort of a a standard of care, right? If you find that mutation, that's probably the best thing one could do.
1: Well, so I mean, you know, women have options. And I think our job is, you know, we do what's called shared decision making. So my job as a physician and a surgeon is to explain to women. So say you have BRCA mutation, your lifetime risk of breast cancer is 87%. uh, Your lifetime risk of ovarian cancer is 40%. Mm -hmm. So there's recommendations by NCCN. And so, obviously, prophylactic mastectomy is a recommendation, a prophylactic oophorectomy is also a recommendation, you know, between ages 35 to 40 for the BRCA1 Mm -hmm. and 40 to 45 BRCA2. Um, When a woman has a prophylactic mastectomy, the risk reduction is, you know, 90% um, of risk reduction of breast cancer, 95% of the woman had oophorectomy or removal of her ovaries. Now, they have options. They don't have to choose the prophylactic. Mastectomy, the option is to follow them more closely with an MRI and mammography, and I think ultimately it's the woman's choice as to what you know she wants to do. Our job is to make sure educate them the different options. Um, I'll tell you honestly, for these yeah. women, you know, who come in, who have a mammogram and six months later, they have an MRI and there's something that's found, you know, they need a biopsy and then we call them with results. It really all happens very quickly. Mm. But, you know, as I'm also a breast cancer survivor, just waiting to get those results, not knowing if they're going to get a call saying it's cancer or it's benign, that way just seems to be really, really long. And so sometimes women just want to do a prophylactic mastectomy because they just don't want to keep going through this biopsies, and imaging every six months. Um, And also for women who have had cancer, every time they go to get imaging, it's almost like PTSD, you know, they have Mm. to remove that experience again. So bottom line is it's a woman's decision and our job is to help, you know, help them with those decisions.
0: Yeah, so prophylactic uh, here means that you're basically opting to um, essentially remove the breast um, before any any diagnosis, right? That so, is uh, yes. yeah,
1: yeah, that is correct. Prophylactic mastectomy means removing the breast tissue uh, before the diagnosis of cancer, and you know, and women can opt for no reconstruction, or immediate reconstruction, or delayed reconstruction. And most of these women that we looked at here opted for immediate reconstruction.
0: Right, and the, the BRCA one and BRCA two, uh, that can be identified by a simple blood test.
1: Yes, blood test. And nowadays we're doing just a spit test because of COVID. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just a spit test these days, just looking at the DNA.
0: So there is no reason not to do it, right? Why, why wouldn't you do it like when you are 10? I mean, why? Why, why wait for? Uh... Yeah.
1: So the recommendations are, you know, one needs to turn 18, but there's, you know, several criteria for which one is eligible for this uh, testing, genetic testing. Yeah. For instance, if a woman is younger than 50 and she's diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, you know, she qualifies at least for counseling. That's different than testing counseling. The counselor will talk to them about the family history, and if she would qualify for testing, they would go ahead and test her. There's also, they, you know, also the other criteria is if you're older then 50, then you have to have at least two family members with breast cancer, family history of ovarian cancer, or family history of pancreatic cancer. There's a number of different criteria by NCCN. And so if my mother had BRCA1 or 2, I would be eligible for testing at 18. Um, And yeah, not before 18, because you're really not doing anything different before then. You, You know, you you help them for, you know, do a breast exam and starting at age 18, but you really don't even get any sort of imaging till age 25. And that's an MRI is recommended between ages 25 to 30. Okay. And then starting at age 30, a mammography every year, along with cell breast exam and two exams by clinicians every year.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in conclusion, Deva, when you look forward, um, what what are the technologies and and you know kind of treatment modalities do you believe will change what are the things that you are most excited about in this arena
1: so, you know, I'm a surgeon, so <laughs> I like to say I'm, I'm very excited about surgery. So, um, I perform not just traditional simple mastectomies, which is removing the breast tissue, the nipple areolar complex, but we also perform nipple sparing mastectomies where we preserve the nipple areolar complex mm. um, and we hide the incision. So, hidden scar surgery, that's another new upcoming thing uh, where we hide incisions either in the inframammary fold or the bra line or underneath the arms where women don't see these scars, you know, these scars are typically a reminder of cancer and what a woman has gone through. Mm. So, you know, that's exciting. Nipple sparing mastectomy is really, um, you know, we're doing a lot of them these days. There's also what's called nipple delay technique, essentially for these women who have large breasts and tautic breasts, meaning like breasts that are a little bit drooping and large, you know, breasts. Typically nipple sparing mastectomy was not an option. Now we take them to surgery two weeks prior to their mastectomies and you know, remove the tissue underneath the nipple areolar complex to sort of challenge the blood supply to the nipple areolar complex, and then two weeks later we take them back to do a nipple sparing mastectomy. Uh, this just, you know, higher greater likelihood of preserving that nipple areolar complex for women. And you know, body image is a big deal. You know, I I deal with a lot of young women. I mean, my youngest woman that I've diagnosed is twenty five. Mm-hmm. So. It should, I mean, they have several years to live and so I don't want the incisions or the scars to be a reminder of cancer.
0: Right, right. Yeah, as a surgeon, I need to ask you this also, Deepa. You know, there are a lot of excitement in other industries about robotics, artificial intelligence and so on. Do you see um do you see those technologies uh, becoming good enough to Perhaps not not completely take over from a surgeon, but in yeah. uh, with the guidance of surgeon do much of the work.
1: Yeah, you know the robotics. I actually you know watched a video at our conference uh, last year, um, and it just doesn't seem like practical application. It mm. still, I feel like takes a long time, um, and you know, you, and also there's something to say about feeling the tissue. You just you're not you're going to miss out on actually feeling the tissue because you're mm. not actually using your hands to yeah. feel the tissue. So. I don't know if that's gonna take over here as as much. Um artificial intelligence, I did, you know, I mean I attended the LindSage conference virtually this year and they did talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, there are places that I think it's gonna adapt and take over, like you know, mammography could be read. You know, Hmm. by artificial intelligence. But also, ultimately, you know, we just don't have enough data yet. You know, is that going to lead to more biopsies? Uh, You know, more, then which leads to more anxiety for women? I think time will tell. Uh, I'm not that excited yet. I think you know using not just looking at the images but also you know there's so much that goes into the treatment of breast cancer yes. um, and I, I i my job is exciting because i'm always you know not two people have the same treatment and i think we still have to use our brain and our knowledge and expertise and and you know typically it's a multidisciplinary conference where we discuss these cases so and there's medical oncologists radiation oncologists radiologists surgeons genetic counselors and so you know, it takes a whole team to come together with a good plan. I just I just don't know how artificial intelligence can take over something like that. Uh, yeah.
0: The the problem here though, here is I think Deva is that um every cancer is different. Um, cancer affecting every organ is different, every individual's cancer is different. And every cancer, how it mutates, is different. So, typically, artificial intelligence works when you have a lot of historical data where you can find oh, yeah. fairly robust patterns, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas here, uh, each incidence is is essentially a customized disease for that individual, the way that I understand it.
1: That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, you know, I mean, for breast cancer, it's a very personalized care. Now we have genomic testing, you know, that tells us specifically who needs chemotherapy and who does not need chemotherapy. And so, um, you know, every patient is different. Every cancer is different, like you said. And so, yeah, I think, you know, more to come on that. I think time will tell. But as of right now, I'm not sure that it's going to take over.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah excellent yeah this has been great the but thanks so much for doing this late in the late in the evening after the surgeries oh no uh, thank you
1: so much for asking me to do it
0: yeah thanks so much
1: yeah no thank you keep safe all right you too thank you so much have a good evening bye bye